Welcome to Light On, Light Through, Episode 52, Science Fiction and the New Golden Age of Television. While I was in Philadelphia a few weeks ago, I was invited by the Philadelphia Science Fiction Society to give a lecture. And the lecture I gave was Science Fiction in the New Golden Age of Television. Now, several people, actually more than several people, emailed me and said, well, they were sorry they couldn't attend the lecture. They'd love to hear what I said, and I think that's what podcasts are for. Now, I have to say that unlike W.C. Fields, I love Philadelphia, and I'm always glad to be there, and never happier than when I'm in Philadelphia talking about one of my favorite topics, science fiction. And, in fact, this time talking about two of my favorite subjects, science fiction and television. Now, as some of you may know from reading my blogs and listening to these podcasts over the past few years, I've been saying for a couple of years now that we're in a new golden age of television. The first golden age would be back in the 1950s, shows like Dragnet, I Love Lucy, Have Gun, Will Travel, Playhouse 90, the first decade of television. It's generally agreed that those shows were really superb and that although there have been great television shows since then, television has lost something, or at least had lost something since about the mid-1990s when HBO began putting on new series, not just playing movies, but putting on brand new series on television. And the series that most typified this revolution, I would say, would be The Sopranos. And I wrote a piece a couple of years ago about what made The Sopranos so different. Not only the great storyline, but the very mode of presentation. No commercial interruptions. Any language that was appropriate for the story could be said. You didn't have to worry about the FCC unconstitutionally censoring the show. The whole dramatic pace of the show was much more like a continuing series of movie installments than what we would expect to find on network television. Now, the exciting thing about The Sopranos, or certainly one of the most exciting things, is that what The Sopranos did opened up the gates, both of cable television, other great shows on HBO like The Wire, which is currently concluding, uh, unfortunately, its last season. I'll really miss it. Showtime, which has put on some great shows like Dexter, The Tudors, which are coming back very soon uh, in April. Brotherhood, getting back to HBO, certainly programs like Big Love, uh, another fine program in Treatment, which is still on right now. Rome uh, was a spectacular show. So these cable shows, in many ways, led the new golden age of television. But the really exciting thing about this is that part of this revolution was picked up by old-fashioned network television. And certainly shows like 24 on Fox, Lost on ABC, Heroes on NBC, 
These kinds of programs were, of course, not the same in the kinds of cable presentations. They did have commercials. They do have commercials. They are subject to FCC restrictions. But somehow, part of this brilliance that began to emerge on cable spread to the television network. And the result was there was better television both on cable and on network television as well. Well, the more I was thinking about this, the more I realized that in many ways, in the forefront of this new golden age of television, you find some of the best science fiction. Not only some of the best science fiction that's ever been on television, but some of the best science fiction, period. So let me talk about five shows in particular, which I think each in its own way typifies this new golden age of television. Let's start with Lost, which now is in its fourth season. And so far I've seen the first three episodes. And i got to say, in many ways, these episodes are so good. The show is so superb that... In many ways, it's better, I think, than the first year, which everyone agrees was spectacular. Lost lost its way to some extent in the second year and even throughout most of the third year, but the finale in season three was unbelievable, totally changing the nature of the series. I actually predicted part of it. I got lucky. I just had this sense. And the main point in the finale was we were no longer seeing a flashback of two of the main characters, but actually a flash forward, which had occurred after Jack and Kate had gotten off the island. Well, this raised all sorts of questions, and this year Lost is doing a sensational job of starting to answer these questions fill in some fascinating detail, and do this in part by appealing to some of the great elements of science fiction. For example, in last night's episode three, which I just saw last night and I enjoyed it so much, uh, I've seen it three times now on my DVR, there's a very significant interlude in which this slightly crackpot scientist Faraday is testing the relationship of time to what's happening on the island. And to make a long story short, it seems that something which comes from a ship which is off the island and is sent to the island, when it finally lands, it seems that the clock on that little payload has gone 31 minutes into the future. So something made the clock run fast, and these temporal anomalies are classic science fiction. Lost really has brought itself back, uh, and I think that if it keeps up this pace, it will truly go down uh, as one of the greatest shows in the history of television, and just good old storytelling. Now, speaking of Time Anomalies, another good show that's on television, uh, this one is on Fox, is Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Now, I thought the first two Terminator movies were superb. I actually liked the second a tiny bit better than the first, but both were excellent. 
I thought the third was okay. Uh, maybe a little better than okay. I thought it was pretty good. But I wasn't especially looking forward to a television series that picked up any of this story. But the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which as the name suggests, follow the story of Sarah Connor, do a very, very good job of telling what happened in between the second and third movie. And the fact is, maybe pointing towards a different future than we saw in the third movie, which of course, if you're dealing with time travel, is certainly fine, because anytime you change anything in the past, you are going to change the future in some way. Now, the, the paradox, of course, that all of the Terminator stories have to deal with is Skynet is trying to send someone back uh, to kill John Connor because John Connor is leading the resistance against Skynet in the future. Uh, and, of course, if Skynet succeeds and kills John Connor, then why would Skynet in the future have had the idea to send someone back in the first place? Meanwhile, Sarah and John Connor are trying to prevent Skynet from ever arising in the first place. If that happened, then there wouldn't be a John Connor because it was Kyle Reese traveling back from the future who created John Connor with Sarah. So by destroying Skynet, there would be no father for John Connor, and he wouldn't exist. But these are the paradoxes that all time travel stories have to deal with. Uh, my characters in the plot to save Socrates struggle with them, too. And I think it's part of the fun of time travel stories. And I think the Sarah Connor Chronicles are doing a pretty good job of it. They've also introduced a great new character uh, by the name of Cameron, a beautiful female good Terminator. So that's always nice to see. Uh, of course, in the Terminator 3 movie, there was a beautiful bad Terminator, but this is the first time we've had a beautiful young female Terminator who is good. So we'll see how that develops as well. Now, while we're on the subject of time travel, there was a great time travel series on NBC this fall, and I did talk about it in Light On, Light Through, and that was Journeyman which started out as a, I guess, a 21st century version of Quantum Leap. But it turned out to be much more personal in its storytelling than Quantum Leap. And unlike Quantum Leap, in which we never got all that much of Sam's backstory, in the case of Journeyman, Dan Vassar's personal backstory is, in many ways, and was in many ways, the central story of Journeyman. And there was a great uh, show in the uh, episode that was the next-to-last episode in which Dan does something that changes the future. He comes back to his family and finds out that rather than the son, the little boy that he loves, he has a beautiful little girl. Now, of course, he misses his son. It's just a great, exquisite human story. One of the best in time travel, which, as you know, obviously is one of my favorite genres. And I think that Kevin Falls did a great job in putting that show together. Unfortunately, NBC and its, quote, wisdom, unquote, canceled the show. But it should be out on DVD, I hope, sooner or later. And who knows, maybe in some way it'll come back. Battlestar Galactica will be coming back for its final season pretty soon, uh, also the beginning of April. That also is a superb piece of work, and you can see the difference 
between the first and the second Battlestar Galactica, and that in many ways typifies what I'm talking about regarding the new golden age of television. The first Battlestar Galactica was okay. It was, you know, some good adventures. But uh, it could never be accused of dealing with any kind of deep moral issues. The second Battlestar Galactica, on the other hand, has been extraordinary in its confrontation of wrenching social and ethical issues. For example, there was one show uh, in one of the early seasons of the second Battlestar Galactica in which the issue of abortion comes up for the surviving humans. And obviously, humanity is holding on by a thread, struggling to survive against the Cylons. So what will the president, Rosalind, do? Uh, she would ordinarily, presumably, be okay with a woman's right to choose an abortion, but can she take this position when every human life is needed in this life-and-death struggle with the Cylons? So this is really uh, an extraordinary thing for a television show to do. And I think uh, Battlestar Galactica has set the pace for space science fiction, which it will take a long time for another television show to equal. In fact, I would say that Battlestar Galactica, and I'm sorry it's ending, uh, in many ways is the successor to the best of Star Trek. It also has provided me some good occasions for humor. Mitt Romney has dropped out of the Republican presidential race, uh, but while he was in the race, uh, I couldn't help but notice that uh, he seemed to have some Cylon-like characteristics, always changing his position on issues. Uh, his father, George Romney, was the founder of American Motors that was known for its assembly line production. In fact, I wrote a few blog pieces about this, Is Mitt Romney a Cylon, and had some fun with it. So that's something else to Battlestar Galactica's credit. And finally, Heroes, which is now on break. Uh, it had a half of a season uh, because of the WGA strike. It's not clear to me whether the second half is going to come back in 2008. But again, uh, as someone who's a sucker for time travel, I love the stuff with Hero, H-I-R-O. He basically not only time travels, but can also teleport uh, anywhere in the space-time continuum. Of the five shows I've mentioned, Heroes is the most comic bookish. You know, I like it uh, a lot, but I would not put it in the same category as Lost or Battlestar Galactica, or Journeyman in terms of the serious narratives that those three other series tell. Still in all, there have been some very, very good shows on Heroes, and I'm looking forward to more. And we'll be back uh, in a minute or two after a word from our sponsor. Hello, this is David G. Hartwell. I'm a senior editor at Tor and Forge Books in New York. I've been editing science fiction since... 1970. I've edited a lot of people over the course of my career, but I'm pleased to also be the editor of Paul Levinson. I edited his first novel, The Silk Code, and I edited his most recent novel, The Plot Saves Socrates, and all the books in between.
Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. history, uh, specifically ancient Greek history, time travel, uh, ancient manuscripts. So I, I, will be, uh, I, I will be immediately running down to uh, the local Barnes & Noble and picking up a copy of this. And thank you, David S. Michaels. That indeed was Dave Michaels who said he was going to run down to the Barnes & Noble near where he lives in California and pick up a copy of The Plot to Save Socrates. Now, if the name Dave Michaels sounds familiar to you, it's because he is the co-author of one of my favorite all-time novels. In fact, it's in my top ten, even top five easily. It's called Red Moon. And it was published about 10 years ago. It's a hardly known novel. It tells the story of why the Russian space program fell apart in the 1960s after such an extraordinary start in the 50s with Sputnik and Yuri Gagarin circling the Earth. Shortly after that, it's a science fiction novel, and I couldn't put it down. I highly recommend it. So I've been telling people for years they should go out and read this novel. And sometime soon, we're going to have uh, Dave Michaels and his co-author, Dan Brenton, here on Light On, Light Through. Oh, and that little sound clip you heard of Dave comes from a webcast that Dave and I recently did with Aaron Bush. In fact, it was the premiere webcast of Aaron Bush's new primetime and online webcast show. And you can find a link to that at lightonlightthrough.com. And we'll keep our flashes all political for this podcast and all about the success of Barack Obama, who since the last Light On Light Through podcast swept the three Chesapeake primaries, gave another great speech 
Uh, whoever Obama's speechwriter is, he is clearly in a league with Ted Sorensen, John F. Kennedy's speechwriter, and perhaps not coincidentally, Ted Sorensen has endorsed Obama. So the Wisconsin primary is coming up in a couple of days, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens uh, between now and the Democratic convention in Denver which won't take place uh, until the very end of the summer. But I'm still predicting, more than ever, in fact, that Barack Obama will be the Democratic nominee. It looks as if his Republican rival will be John McCain. And now that Romney's out of the race and I can no longer talk about him being a Cylon, I mean, I guess I still can, but uh, no one much cares, uh, it had dawned on me that um, perhaps John McCain might be better known as John Palpatine McCain. Think about it. That's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. For Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code, the punk horror podcast. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world. Witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press, featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell, and author Red Fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com.